For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This one's called Brooklyn's Finest. This took me back to Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. I have to call it CD, album, whatever you want to call it. But today's episode is an awesome interview with Chrissia Long. She is the director of entertainment marketing for the Brooklynettes. And I can't wait to launch this episode. It's been a great start to the season so far. I hope you guys all enjoyed the double episode last week with Kayla Marie Jackson. So many gems, you guys, and I had two more hours of content that I could have blessed you with, but um, hopefully we can do something to have her back on because she just gave such great advice. got a lot of positive feedback from people about that episode, but this one's also pretty amazing. I think it's great to hear from the directors directly and just hearing her story and how she's managed the team and balancing that with being a mom, a wife, I mean, you name it, she's just an all-around fantastic person and really enjoyed meeting up with her towards the end of the summer. But she shared, you know, some of the challenges from this summer with the team, kind of rallying around, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and just, just a lot of good information in there. So I can't wait to share it with you. You guys, we made it to December. It is December of 2020 and we just need to breathe it in and accept that we're almost finished with this year. I know I woke up like, okay, it's a new month. It's the last month, feeling a little bit more hopeful. So anyway, let's just relish in that. It's sunny here in Seattle for a whole freaking week. So I'm just like, things are turning around. (laughs) It took Scorpio season to like, you know, make things come around. I've been meaning to go on a Scorpio tangent for every episode since I launched. And I kept forgetting as part of Cheer Chat to say how amazing Scorpios are and how many freaking Scorpios in this space there are. And it just is not at all surprising. Not at all surprising. I won't even name names because every single one of them are just super dope in my eyes. But I just want to say that 2020 started turning around when Scorpio season hit. So we're taking credit for it, period. I am anyway. Okay, so what's next? Let's see. I hope you guys all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I cooked successfully and um, we're out of leftovers, which is a good thing in this household so that I can start working that food off. But I hope you all had a great holiday with your loved ones and remained safe and, you know, just enjoyed a probably lower key um, Thanksgiving than normal. I don't know who watched the game. 
the Thanksgiving game with the, I forgot who the Cowboys were even playing, but that game is the one that I watched. And I just want to give a little shout out. I know we don't typically, like Brittany and I over the years, didn't spend that much time talking about DCC because they're literally everywhere. And we just thought they get enough publicity and like, what do we add to the conversation? But these women are working. That's all I can say. I mean, Thanksgiving, sometimes, you know, like the Christmas stuff that they're doing. I mean, they are doing a Christmas extravaganza. I think it's something that they hold locally in person and they have like the light up costumes and it's this whole to do, but they're doing it virtually this year. So I'm going to watch. They already had one on the 27th of November, but there's one on December 11th and one on December 24th. And you can watch on Facebook and Twitter. And I just want to give a shout out to them. I mean, on so many levels, and I'll probably touch on them throughout, but I just think it's just a mastermind of a marketing job with those ladies. And you would think nothing, nothing changed. They didn't skip a beat at all, just with their marketing and promotion, their sponsorships, what they're doing on social media. All you have to do is look at their feed for five seconds and you'll see, you know, virtual appearances. You'll see them plug in their sponsors. I mean, they just got it like a well-oiled machine and there's no thought to them like not existing or not doing anything just because the Rona is here acting foolish. Um, we'll touch on that a little bit more later, but I just wanted to say they did a great job uh, with Kane Brown. I'd never heard of that boy before, but he was cute and had a little country and I was feeling it. So it was a good, it was a good show. Good job, ladies. And I don't know how you worked on Thanksgiving, but maybe it was just something with Thanksgiving being a little uh, low key where you couldn't celebrate like you used to. Maybe you didn't miss out on as much as you would normally, but I see you working, ladies, so good job. That's all I want to say. Go DCC. Ooh, and I'm now watching the show. I hate that I do cheer chat on Tuesdays because I really want to talk about it more. <laughs> um, like after the episode that's going to air tonight, maybe you guys have already seen it, but let's just say it looked decent, like what they did in terms of setting them up in that bubble and just the way that the ladies were protecting themselves with masks and whatnot. Seemed like maybe some drama took place. I don't know. We'll find out. But I just thought that... It was off to a good start, having all of the ladies like reviewing all of the videos and learning the routines, you know, prior to training camp started, seemed like it was a huge benefit to everybody. Like, I do think like after the run is over that they're probably going to be taking certain aspects of these virtual auditions and carrying it forward. And it makes sense. Like, why just watch everybody flail around and struggle and, you know, balancing work and balancing learning all these routines, traffic, like you name it, just to like get to training camp. I think giving them a little bit of a head start, not that they won't learn new choreography from different choreographers, but give them a little something so that they can, you know, get their feet wet and put their best foot forward. You know, like if you didn't study those tapes and you didn't, you know, get every single detail or you didn't know yourself showing up, that tells you pretty much all you need to know. But like, Having a good first practice where people feel, get those jitters out, but they know their stuff, that has to feel pretty good for the training camp candidates. So um, it was a pretty diverse slate. I was excited to see just something different. It looks like a, a more diverse potential squad forming and just a variety, which I can appreciate. I know I got tired of watching because it just looked like the same thing over and over again, but these are hardworking ladies and it's nice that they got to do it in a condensed time frame. I'm just really curious to see. Of course, they're going to drag it out right for the season, but I'm curious to see tonight's episode is about the uniform fitting. And so I'm just looking how they work this. I won't even say angle, but how they address diversity to the extent it comes up during the season. So I will be watching 
and sharing observations. So far, so good, I will say. Moving on. Um, the NFL and its disastrous coronavirus situation. Um, I was watching the game last night, of course, because the Seahawks played, but there was a stat that was mentioned that we're the only team in the entire NFL that hasn't had a positive case of the coronavirus, so knock on some wood. But I just thought that that was pretty telling of what kind of season that they've been having so far, at least on the player side. Um, We'll get to the dancers in a minute, but they've had a total of 18 games rescheduled since the start of the season, okay, just because of different coronavirus tests and having to shift the schedules around and postpone things. And that's a lot, right? But then it was just so hard. I didn't watch this game on Sunday, but the Denver Broncos, poor thing, poor baby. Like he, he was on the practice squad and was a wide receiver. And basically because of some little snafu in the quarterback's room during a meeting where somebody didn't have a mask on temporarily, whatever. They violated their coronavirus protocols. So none of those quarterbacks were eligible to play in the game. And so they had to go dig up this poor child from the practice squad, played a completely different position. I don't even remember when he played quarterback ever, but they had him start against the freaking Saints. You know, they're doing well. Like that must have just been so hard. And just shout out to him for even just like stepping it up to even do it like god i would be i don't even know it's a hot mess basically and it just made me think like how are they going to get through december and january because you guys all know i mean the coronavirus shutdown smackdowns going on and pretty much almost everywhere except atlanta it seems like what's going on in atlanta (laughs) but you know we have some tough months ahead you know for people who traveled during thanksgiving or you know, you have like the cold flu season normally that's coming up. And it's just, it's going to be really interesting to see how the NFL limps through the rest of the season. And if they're going to actually have competitive teams play, because if everybody's knocked out for one reason or the other with a positive test or whatnot, like you're going to have some challenges and it's almost like you're going to have a fat asterisk next to whoever ends up making it through the season to the Super Bowl if, if it just keeps getting jacked up, right? But I posed the question, I I didn't forget. I was trying to think of a good poll of the week because there's a lot of questions, but they're not like yes, no, that I want to ask you guys. But basically it was just like, we've seen what's happened with the NFL. This is playing without a bubble. NBA season's coming up in a couple weeks, right? And I did a little research. There's 30 teams in the NBA and 27 of them have yet to basically announce what their plan is around having fans in attendance at games for the regular season. Some preseason schedules come out and some have basically said we're not having fans for preseason. They're still trying to figure out what they're going to do for regular season. And similar to the NFL, it's really pretty much based on jurisdiction, like where they're located and what the local rules are and You know, like even in the NFL, because of California's ban on contact sports, which I'm pretty sure basketball falls under that too, you know, you got homeless football teams that are now having to look at playing in Arizona or Vegas. And so it's just getting extra complicated. So are we pushing it? And I just thought, you know, should we still be pushing for dancers to have a season two, knowing that fans in the stands are probably just like not going to happen just for safety reasons If they just make that decision, no, we're not going to have fans, then what should our role be as dancers? What should the cheerleaders be allowed to do? 
for some of the cheerleaders in the NFL that have gotten to cheer partially during this season. You know, some, they didn't start out there, then they got to be out there, then they got pulled from being out there. So I know it's been a lot of yankity yank back and forth. And so I'm just curious what you guys think. It seemed to be overwhelmingly like positive that yes, they should still have a season. And I guess my question, because I ask a lot of questions, my follow-up question would be, what should that role look like? I mean, we've seen what the NFL has done. I have to say it, and you know, this is truth behind the palms. I don't follow a lot of college teams, but I have to give it to these college teams. I don't know who they hired in terms of a videographer and what they have access to and, you know, what the rules are. But some of these teams are like, they look like they have been practicing and they get out there and they take over the football field or whatever. And then they perform and they have a great video for content on their social media. I think that's amazing and great. I think you're still showing that you can enjoy your sport, you can still enjoy dance, and you can actually, you know, still cater to your audience. But for NBA, I mean, I think it's, it is challenging because you have all these protocols. And I don't know if you guys have thought about it a lot. I don't see it covered as much in the media. But, you know, when you think about testing, and, you know, obviously, the vaccines that are coming, and you think about the priority of the country and you know how many tests I was going to research that and I completely forgot but the number of tests that NFL players have gotten throughout this season and you think of our frontline workers who may not be having readily access to to be tested in that manner it's just like we're pushing sports we're pushing our sport we're pushing dance but like do we need to I say PTFD pipe the F down (laughs) but just you know it's not a pretty situation out here with the numbers and I wouldn't want to advocate for us being out there if we don't have the same protocols and protections in place. I mean, it's something that I'm dying to know from people who have danced or been active this season. Were you tested ever? Did anybody have a positive test result? I'm sure it's all hush-hush, but was there any impact to the team in that way? I know that I've seen everybody wearing masks and performing in masks, but, you know, unless we have some protections, we really shouldn't be I don't think, this is my opinion, I don't think we should really be pushing to to be out there without them guaranteeing that we're going to have a similar amount of protection in place. But I do hope that, that we figure something out, like thinking outside the box, I say control, copy, paste what the, the DCC is doing to keep their program alive. I mean, it, I don't see them even posting performance videos, but they're very, very active. You're still marketing their presence. They're still pushing an amazing squad that they have. And so I hope if nothing else, you know, the NBA dance teams, and we'll hear about that during the interview with Chrissia is just really, really having the teams value the dancers so that they're not kind of like abandoning them on the side of the road, just because considerations with the coronavirus. I think there's some things that can happen as long as you have that internal organizational support and hopefully some protections that are easy enough to enforce. It's like we're towing the line a little bit to me in terms of just where is this going? Like if if it's that bad where states are having to have like a complete lockdown, banning pro sports essentially and making teams find another place to practice and have games, it's getting serious. And, you know, the NFL was stubbornly going full steam ahead. The NBA started off right with a bubble. Now they're going to be kind of in the same space. At least they're doing it without fans. But what is our real role and what do we get to do when there aren't fans And how should these teams really just be trying to, like, promote that? 
who has answers, put it in the box and we could talk about it. But those are some of the things that I have on my mind. I mean, there were only a few teams in the NBA, like the Raptors can't even practice or play in Toronto. They're having to move to Tampa, Florida. Um, the Utah Jazz that they will play games um, with limited numbers of fans and then possibly the Orlando Magic as well. But it's looking really not so great at the moment. And I've been surveying to make sure that there haven't been audition announcements from the different teams and there haven't been. And that kind of explains why um, they don't even know if they'll have fans there. And I'm really, really curious, you know, what these directors are up against in terms of trying to plan for this season, knowing that there might not be fans. Like, what are they really going to be able to have their teams do? But this episode is great, you guys. Chrissy is, like I said, just her journey to becoming director and just all of the marketing that goes behind it. I mean, I think that was one of the biggest takeaways, even from last week's episode with Kayla Marie, is just that you really have to put a, a concerted effort around marketing and your image as a team and, you know, the value that you bring to the organization. And I think it's a pretty interesting conversation that we have around that and just the adjustments that she's willing to make and the kind of like not willing to make with the pandemic, you know, going through auditions anyway, when you don't have the benefit of picking your team the way that you're accustomed to, that really tests who you're adding to the team, I think is just a very valid consideration. Um, So excited for you guys to hear about her perspective and just hear more about her journey and her amazing leadership for the for the Brooklyn Nets. Did I have more stuff to talk about? Okay, so a little bit more stuff that's like totally me freestyling, but um, I'm sure some of you guys have noticed that, you know, there's a lot of pro cheerleaders on, you know, formers that have become involved in like reality TV. And I think it's kind of fascinating. And I'm not a reality TV person. I'm not a dating show person. But I've noticed that some of my former teammates have taken that path. And I just think it's kind of interesting. And then I realized, like, there are hella, hella dancers and pro cheerleaders that have gone that route. So I kind of want to talk about it on the show. So I'm trying to commit to watching it, even though it's not my normal jam, um, just so that we can see what people are up to. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was just the idea that was really inspired from my interview with Chrissia, but would you guys be interested in having like a a career panel, like career day <laughs> for pro dancers where um, I can put together a panel that can kind of share information about roles that you guys can go into after dance that are still touching dance, related to dance, but just opening up avenues like so that you can think about career in sports and entertainment, you can think about how do you really break into coaching, just like tips, pointers, you name it, people who've done really cool and interesting things after dancing. So if that's something that would interest you for an episode, I'd love to try to put that together because I think just hearing all the different advice and the paths that people have gone to reach their heights in their careers, I think there's just something that we should all be thinking about. It's just like, how do you transition to doing something else, something that's cool, something that still touches on your passion with dance. So if that's something that interests you, let me know. If you think you have somebody in mind that would be good for the panel, let me know that as well. I think to the extent art industry is interrupted by the Rona, everybody's going to be needing to think about other things that they can do. And maybe you're going back to school and you're looking at, you know, a sports business degree because you've been dancing in sports and entertainment for all this time and you maybe have seen certain aspects of it that interest you. I mean, it's just one little 
example, but if we have to kind of spend some time investing in other things, you know, maybe you can hear from some people who've done it and get some ideas and inspiration from it. So that is the cheer chat for today. I can't believe I didn't look at the results of this survey before I went live. So hold please. I just am curious what you guys said. I know the last time I checked, it was overwhelmingly like, no, you still need to be out there doing something, right? So, oh yeah, 82% says yes, they should still have a season. 18% said no. So let's have a season. Let's think of some cool things and ways that we can continue to do what we do, regardless of whether there's fans in the stadium or not. And it just makes me wish that the playoffs were just like a real thing. Like get your squad together, put together a fire concept video, and let us just have our own thing. We don't need the game. <laughs> we don't need the game. I don't know. I hope to see teams form. I mean, it's a little scary not to have audition information up yet, but I do hope the NBA, um, once the time is right and there's a little bit more information, I just feel like it's a repeat of the NFL, but I do hope that we move towards the NBA dancers having a season. There are a couple teams that have formed, so let's just keep our fingers crossed that we can get these corona numbers under control so that there can be fans in the stands and it's not a conversation of there's just no season for NBA dancers at all because that would suck. And what am I going to talk about if that happens? So let's just hope for um, some creativity and some real advocacy and pushing and showing their value. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders figured it out and they're very valuable to their organization. So it can be done. I really enjoy talking to you guys per usual, and I'm going to turn it over to the episode with Christina Long, Brooklyn's Finest. Hi. Thanks to meet you. Oh my gosh, you look stunning. Nice to meet you. So do you. <laughs> well, welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast, Christina Long. You are the Director of Entertainment Marketing for the Brooklyn Nets organization. Is that correct? Yes. The yeah. title, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but welcome. We're so excited to have you and talk Thank to you. Thing and just appreciate you making time for everybody to get to know you and hear about your story. So, I mean, I'd love to jump in just because you are a rock star performer yourself. And I just want to hear about your journey as a pro dancer before we jump into your background as the director. Sure. Um, so, I'm dancing my whole entire life. I went to Long Island School of the Arts as a dance major, and that's when I really kind of took it seriously. Then from there, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University and got my degree in dance and choreography, my BFA in dance and choreography. And from that point on, I pretty much jumped right into the freelance dance world. Um, I danced for Disney and uh, Carnival Cruise Lines and Nike, and I toured with Little Kim in Australia and uh, dance with Pharrell and okay. you know, just a whole bunch of different pop artists. And then I got the opportunity to work uh, with the Knicks as a Knicks City dancer. And I uh, was with the Knicks for five seasons. And then I was captain for three seasons and coach for the Knicks City Kids for two seasons and the Timeless Torches, which is WNBA, the seniors team. I was coach for that as well. Okay. Yeah. So while I was there, I also interned while I was dancing on the team. So that's how I learned the ins and outs of game presentation. I see. So I'm going to probably be all over the place with a little question. No, that's here. okay. You are originally from New York then, right? 
Yes, I'm from Long okay. Island. Okay, so all these New York teens, it's home for you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because I dance with them going through the transition from, you know, hip hop, kind of all styles to where they are now with the Broadway. So going through that, you know, phase with them, I actually learned so much about marketing and the brand and, you know, how how a brand can morph from one way to the other. And I definitely take that with me now. Well, that's something that I probably should have put down in the list of questions, because I feel like the Brooklynettes is such a brand and just like very unique in and of its own. I mean, just looking at all the other teams across the league, especially with the playoffs. I mean, I've gotten the flavor for each team and it's just really, really strong marketing for you guys and very well done. And it's just very distinct. And I'd love to hear about your vision for that or just kind of like how that came about, because the Nets, I should have done my NBA research, but like. (laughs) When did they move to Brooklyn? Like it was so this is actually the seventh season that they've been in Brooklyn and I will be going into my sixth season. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. So it really was like just a whole new marketing for the entire team because of being new to the Brooklyn right. and right. wow. And can you talk a little bit more about that shift, like you said, with the Knicks where you're seeing kind of like the hip hop style to the style that they have now, or that was while you were a dancer. So you're having to kind of perform different dance styles and kind of right. transition. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because in New York, like we are fortunate because we're surrounded by so many different types of dancing, so many different choreographers and just like a melting pot of just dance. So it was like very transitional. Like it started off like hardcore hip hop, similar to the Brooklynettes. Um, But, you know, we dabbled in different, you know, we would do musical theater here and there, but it was kind of like um, the brand was kind of, I feel like meshing together. And like, I don't know if you remember the Rockettes started performing at the games. And I I don't know, like the actual mastermind plan around it. I just was there performing like, listen, whatever you need me to do. I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to kill it either way. (laughs) That's how I kind of just took it on. But it was interesting that we were shifting into something more like what they were doing, but like, let's make it dance team kind of. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I feel like the the vision was for that. So costumes changed everything. Like it was like a whole redo of everything. Wow. I think it's just so interesting how life will like take you through different things and it ends up preparing you for what you're ultimately supposed to be doing because like you said being a part of that as a performer and kind of going with the flow and understanding just like how a brand can shift and then having the opportunity to be part of the Nets organization while they're going through their own not rebranding but kind of I guess for the move to Brooklyn and, and being able to be a part of that and lead that is pretty exciting too. Yeah. I love talking to directors because you know as a performer you have your own idea what game day entertainment is about but how would you describe your role as director and like all the moving pieces to the puzzle and basically how you approach your job? So um, I oversee the Broken Eyes Dance team, um, mm-hmm. of course, and uh, Team Hype, um, which Team Hype encompasses like an umbrella of different types of performers, dunkers, break dancers, light feet, and now they do choreo with the Brooklynettes as well. And the Brooklynettes Kids, which is our, you know, kids team, and also the Nets Beats Drumline. So for me, like the thing that is almost most important is staying true to the culture of what the brand is supposed to represent. Making sure that it comes from an authentic place. 
And I think when you're in Brooklyn, you know that you're at a Brooklyn game and you're not going to get that experience someplace else. Yes, it's NBA, but it's Brooklyn first and then NBA after. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fortunate because I am with an organization that lets me creatively have freedom. And if it is ever questioned, they don't tell me no, they ask me why. And I'm able to explain myself and, oh, I want to do it like this because X, Y, and Z. So that's really my, my vision. And to just continue to grow and embody what the culture of Brooklyn is about. So when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl in New York, and I, I just come up with such random ideas, but I forget what year that would have been, 2013. But we had a night off and I was like, let's go to a freaking Nets game. Like I just, I just thought it was so cool and people were down to go and we just went and experienced it. And, you know, you got the barbershop in this. I mean, the whole place feels like, it's just unlike any place that I've been. I don't know right. in terms of just going to a basketball game or just being at an arena. It's just got its own vibe and flavor that you feel from the minute you walk through the door. And obviously your performances kind of bring that same energy. So in terms of just handling your role, like what helps you be successful in addition to kind of, like you said, being true to the brand, like logistically speaking, managing all those different teams and putting together, I don't know if it's like a schedule of performances, but how do you kind of approach those logistics? One of the most important things I feel like for me is being able to delegate and trust the leaders that I put in positions. For example, if I'm the director, my manager, Shanae, she is like the mastermind of making rehearsal schedules for appearances for everything like she knows how to configure it and this year was the hardest because I decided to with team hype um, hire 10 more of them so now there's 30 of them but um, instead of forcing them to be a dunk team and light feet and do court it was like we chose people that were good at each of those things so like when we're putting light feet dancers out there we're not putting you know, people who learn how to do light feet, like they're really light feet dancers, you know? So having to manage that schedule, like one day there's a light feet rehearsal, one day there's a breaking rehearsal, and then there's a rehearsal with the dancers that the light feet dancers have to be, like, she is like the mastermind of that. So knowing and trusting that, okay, she's going to handle that. Like I have these ideas and sometimes she roll me back in like, listen, that's not going to work because there's not (laughs) enough time in the week. But having her like manage that, it has been so helpful. And then within the teams, I created uh, like social media, for example, like each team has like a social media committee with a social media manager. And the the social media manager that I have for the Brooklyn Nets in particular, she's like amazing. That's her forte. Like, you know, she'll run it by me. Like, is this cool? And I just let her kind of manage and handle it and it's like kind of just making sure that I'm listening to them as creatives as Mm -hmm. I would want to be listened to and I got the opportunity to to have a creative voice on the Knicks and I felt like that was important for me Mm -hmm. to like listen like what's cool because I'm not always going to be cool I still feel like I'm cool right now but I'm not always going to be cool you know like tell me like is this a good idea like so we kind of bounce ideas off of each other as well and I think that is important with helping with the vision. Yeah. And just have, like you said, assembling a a great team that you're on the same page and just that openness and communication has got to be key to that 
in doing some of the research, I don't mean to keep bringing up the playoffs, but it's like been really helpful because I've learned so much about the different roles and like all the different things that fall under the umbrella when you're kind of in charge of all entertainment teams, but you can't be in a million places at one time. So you have to have a great team that right. mm-hmm. everything's squared away. Goodness. Especially if you're expanding your teams. That's really cool though, to have, like you said, the people be able to focus in on what their niche is and just kind of Right. And then it's also cool to see them develop loves for other parts of it. Like, so for example, again, like the break dancers, they're not usually people who are going to be able to dunk because their skill set requires them to be grounded. But if you're a tumbler, then you probably will be able to dunk. So they're allowed to go to each other's rehearsals to like learn the skills. So by the end of the season, they might have come in as you know, a break dancer, but now they know light feet, they know how to dunk, and now they could take that and use that for their own professional careers. So, and I've, I've seen it like the talent is just dumb. Like, it's just dumb. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't even, I'm super blessed to be able to work with people like that. One of the things that I would appreciate, I think this was probably some point when the podcast started, but just starting to pay attention to the NBA auditions process. It seems as though the way that you run your program is just very cognizant of the fact that these are pro dancers who have careers outside of their commitment. I don't know how they manage, but that's their career. They're professional dancers. It's like really, really geared towards pro dancers and the fact that you had, I believe, agencies present at your auditions process for people to be signed and giving that visibility so that they can actually have a career in dance and just being like you said, getting the opportunity for them to add to their experience and, and be able to market themselves and, you know, kind of build on that while they're part of the team is pretty, it's a cool thing, I think. It's interesting because I see, and and I think it's great how other teams are like, yeah, so this dancer is a doctor and this one is a lawyer and this one is, a, I'm like, but why can't it just be okay to be a professional dancer? we should be voicing the fact that, yeah, they just danced with the VMAs and they were on AGT and they were on like, because we're in the market of professional dancers. So a lot of times when dancers come on and they're like, Oh, what's the commitment and blah, blah, blah. Like not to say that we're super flexible because this is obviously a part-time job with full-time commitment. That's what we say about all the teams, but if the communication is there, then yeah, if you book a one-off job, then I would like you to do it as long as you handle your business correctly. And in New York, it's yeah. not like we have sitcoms and all these, you know, things that are months on end of work. Like a lot of times it's one off things. So to have a job that will last the whole entire season is of value. So you have to kind of be a little bit open to your talent, being able to step outside of the box and trusting them to know that they're gonna be respectful of their job that they have with you. Make sure that you communicate the way you need to communicate. And of course, I want you to go take on opportunities. If you're gonna have an audition, like make sure you tell someone if you need coverage. And there's sometimes where it's like, well, you missed the deadlines. I'm sorry, but you can't, you know, they understand that part too. So it's kind of just really being open and honest with the communication. Mm -hmm. And professional about it looked at so many bios over the course of running the show too that like you're right it's very rare that you'll see just professional dancer or you know that there doesn't always have to be something else and I think as people try to transition after life on a pro team you could be working on that at the same time that you're on a team if there's that kind of uh, understanding but I think every team is different but you know sometimes there are restrictions on 
other commitments that you make while you're on oh, the team. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it is great that you're open and just kind of letting people balance that because it is an amazing career to have. And yet you could probably balance both. I mean, when you love something, you figure it out and make it happen. So really cool. Because your auditions process is just probably one of the toughest that I have seen. (laughs) I just wanted to see if you could talk us through what it is like to become, you know, a Brooklyn Nets dancer, because I mean, from seeing Danielle Polanco and just the top choreography (laughs) coming, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this has to be so, I wouldn't say intimidating, but just like, wow, there's just so much to it that it scared me, but I would love to hear (laughs) you break it down. (laughs) Sure, sure. So Just before I talk about the actual process, I have a great relationship with my boss where I was like, listen, like I have to stay connected to the dance community in order for us to have the opportunities and people to want to dance with us. They have to like know me. And I also want to make sure that I have a physical understanding of what this choreographer is going to come in. So if I have to go take a dance class, I I need to do that so that I, you know, know what to expect or if I've worked with the person before or those relationships now like are definitely coming into play in so many different ways. So even with Danielle, I worked with her on a a few different things. So I had a relationship, we have the same agent. So it was when she's not easy to book, like she's very extremely hard to book, but I was able to talk through from a relationship that I had already had. So that's helpful. But then as far as the audition process, so it's four days, first day is an open call. So that is the day obviously with the 300 plus people. Our returners, our, our vets do not come that day. The only people who are there are the captains and they usually are leading. Okay. The vets are invited to watch though. So sometimes they do come in and watch. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like probably dressed in the same thing and just, you know, I like that part of audition. I liked it while I was on the team. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Let them come in and, you know, feel prideful about what they experience. So yeah, so it starts with an across the floor, that's technique, that's our first cut. And then it goes into the choreographer. And we did it different this year because we did the first combination was a heels combination. And usually, um, usually we don't do a heels combination. Yeah, but I'm like, we dance in heels, like we need to see if these dancers can dance in heels. So having her the first day definitely was an eye opener. Bless everybody to survive that day. Yes. Oh my goodness. And (laughs) she's just so fun because she just loves dance. Like she is like so raw. Like it's, and she just wants you to be good. So it's just what she's saying is raw. And, you know, we have PR there and everything. And I'm like, listen, this is how she's going to be. I'm just warning everyone now. Yes. Gotta let her do her thing. (laughs) And they were great. They did. So depending on how many people we have after they learn like four eight counts we may make another cut but then it's like four to eight eight counts during that day and we try to cut it down to a maximum 100 dancers going into day oh. two so usually it's around like 70 to 100 dancers that we cut it down to and then day two we try to do a different genre and we did hip-hop day two with chuck i was so lucky yes. to meet him sorry he was oh, he's, he's so there. great he's, he's awesome. the sweetest yeah. the sweetest Yes. So, you know, two completely different styles. And then the vets came back and they learned the second day. So they never learn the first day of choreography, usually, but they have to know the across the floor. So once the vets come in, they, you know, they learn the hip hop. It's the same thing. Um, We may make another cut going across the floor before the vets get into the room or whatever. But yeah, so that day is depending on how many we have, we'll do 
the smaller groups, obviously, and um, make the cuts into that day, into day three. We have like usually a, a number that we cannot go over 36 people or 40 people because now you're buying clothes to go in because now all these, you know, outfits that everyone wore, you want them to now look like a team. So whether it's sports bras or t-shirts or whatever, we purchase them. So we have to make sure that we don't go over that number. So we try to cut it down to like a maximum of 40 people going into day three. Okay. And then day three starts with anyone who's new, their interviews. So we interview each dancer and that's really just to find out if we are going to like them enough to work with them for the whole entire season. I know everyone has their own audition interview process, mm-hmm. you know, brand ambassadors, how well they speak, if they're teachable, like things like that, who they are. So that's a p- important part for me because you work with these people for a really, really long time. So you got to have an understanding. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like I catch people in lies all the time where it's just like, guys, don't you know, do your research. Like, oh, I was a Nick City dancer, but it's like, oh, really, when? Oh, so, you know, so it's just like dancers. The world is so small. Don't lie. Like, this is not a time, right? It's not a time to lie. Like, just be honest, be yourselves. We already fell in love with your dancing if you made it to this point anyway. So, yeah, so that's the beginning of day three. And then um, we put all of the dancers with the vets into teams, um, depending on how many people, maybe four or five teams, and they do formations that day. So usually we don't make a cut that day. They're learning through the formations and then like we're running it, running it, running, running it, just to see how now you took the choreography that you learned and you put it into formations. Also, our coach, who is Asha saying, you should be Adair, um, which Adair is great, amazing too, but Asha just completed her first season as coach and she was awesome. Um, But the coach comes in and does like a cleaning day. So they clean the choreography and put it in formation. So we're seeing how everyone kind of works with each other on day three. And how long is that day? So the first two days are the longest days. They're probably around like anywhere from six to seven, eight hours. Um, And then the day three usually is like a six to 10, so like a four hour time slot. Mm -hmm. But the interviews start prior to that. So like, because everyone comes in individually, we'll probably start the interviews as early as three, depending on how many people we have Mm -hmm. um, and knock out the interviews before we actually start the audition day. And that's a great, uh, you know, chance to see like in a practice environment, like how people are gelling, you know, if people are tired, like how well they kind of hold it together for that entire time. And when their real personalities come out, just being able to see that right. criticism and all of those things, not criticism, but when you're cleaning, you're correcting and fixing things. And yeah. Right. Just and they're listening to each other and just their body language. And, you know, we're now they're in the same uniform. So not to say that we're comparing body types, but we want our team to be diverse and just seeing what everyone looks like when you strip down everything from them. Mm-hmm. So, and then day four, um, we start with the vet interviews. So whoever's returning, we start their interviews first that day. And then we go into um, our boot camp, which for me, the, a physical boot camp is not as important as like an endurance boot camp. So yeah, yeah, because you have to have endurance, right? Like, you have to have endurance. Like I'm not trying to kill anybody. Like yeah, <laughs> I, I I just need you to dance. Like I don't need you to do a tough mutter. Like I just want you to be able to. Dance. 
hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. So um, we have our athletic trainers. So the entertainment teams have their own athletic trainers. So the athletic trainers uh-huh. come in and they teach the warm up because they're actually looking for something different than what I am. They're looking for pre-existing injuries. So they're able to tell with like the different things, whether it's balancing or like core Pilates, whatever, if this person is strong or if they're like a pre-existing injury or, you know, just different things that, oh, you might want to look out. This person looks weak in this section, not from a body perspective, but from like, they might not be able to handle. Yeah. The strengthening portion of it. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And then we do the athletic combo first, which is taught on day three at the end of day three. So it's like mentally exhausting. You're already tired. Let's see if you could do a kip up head spring VC. <laughs> Let's just see if you can do all those things when you're done with this process. So one of our, our captain, actually, Pam, we call her powerhouse Pam. She makes up this crazy back-to-back trick situation where we're not we don't think that everyone's going to be able to do it but it's like how far do you push yourself and what tricks can you do versus what you can't so we start off by auditioning that just to kind of see we might do the across the floor again just to be reminded of people's technique and then um, we go into my favorite part which is called battle royale I call it battle royale which is one-on-one battle and I cannot wait to hear the breakdown on this okay (laughs) yeah so we basically match up each dancer onto similar styles, similar looks, similar just to see. And um, or maybe it's like if this one is super powerful, but this one we feel like is a little bit weaker. How much weaker is she than her? Can she blend? Can she be pushed? Whatever. And yeah, it gets really spicy. Um. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean... When I first heard about it, I was just like, oh my God, like clutching up. Like, this sounds so intimidating. But then also it's like that round would probably tell you everything you need to know. Everything, everything. And then after they do Battle Royale, they perform the dance twice. Um, we have a host come in and ask them an interview question right after they're done dancing. So they don't know what it's going to be. It could be like, if you were a Disney princess, what princess would you be? Mm-hmm. Um, or like, uh, what's your favorite part about Brooklyn? Like, so it doesn't necessarily have to be about the brand. It's really just about how quickly so they're sweating and breathing hard. Like how quickly can you pull up and answer this question to the best of your abilities? And that part, like sometimes we're in tears crying. We learn that people could like sing on Broadway. Like we learn so many things about them where I'm like, can I please just have 35 dancers every single time at the by the end of it I'm like I need everybody wow that's pretty much it and then we pick the team from there you pick the team from there Mm -hmm. so and that's all in front of the judges that that all takes Mm -hmm. place okay Mm -hmm. wow I would just pay money to be a fly on the wall for that such that's definitely fun like that could be a movie right then and there just seeing how people show up you know because you all do that at auditions where you're kind of like somewhat sizing up your competition or you know and sometimes they'll pull people back but it's never really like this is the whole portion of this part of the audition is to not like pitting people against one another but it's a healthy competition it's healthy and it's also good to see like the camaraderie that happens when you know everyone's rooting everyone on at this point and 
even if you see someone mess up, they're like, come on, get back in it. Like they're mm-hmm. all like rooting for each other. It's not, it's not a nasty environment at all. It's, I feel like it's a good experience. Like yeah. once you've done it once and it feels exhausting, but like at the end of it, you're like, you know what? I, I made a friend or I learned how to do this or I tell people that all the time. The audition etiquette is so important and learning it through a process like this is so good to take with you. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh. And so when you have the agency there, did I see that right? Where they sometimes will sign somebody on the spot too? Yeah. So we've been so fortunate with Black Talent Agency represents so many of our dancers. So one of the agents, Fatima, she loves coming to the process and she's so supportive. And, you know, she's like, yeah, if there's someone there, we'll definitely pick them. So she's watching and she's watching with her own lens. Like I'm not telling her like, oh, this girl's really good. Like she'll pick someone based off of what she needs as well. So cool. I mean, high pressure and all of that, but I mean, it seems like going through that auditions process would just completely prepare you for like so many things. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, it sounds very true to like what probably other auditions are like. I was never a commercial dancer or anything like that, but that's the real world. So <laughs> it did an, uh, an intensive audition prep class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know things are topsy-turvy right now, so we'll get to that in terms of like what adjustments you've had to make around I call it the Rona, but what advice would you give for people who are interested in becoming a Brooklynette? I would say take class. Like versatility for us is the biggest, biggest, biggest factor. And I love to see dancers who are emotionally connected to their craft and not just can dance well. And it's- Say that again. Yes, like you have to be emotionally connected to your craft because it's the robots and it's unfortunate because sometimes those robots are built like on the collegiate level. And when I see collegiate dance teams, they're so good. They're so good and they know so many tricks and they come together and they're clean, but it's like, like nothing is there. And I'm only asked you to repeat it just because, you know, with the with the playoffs and watching so many videos and so many performances mm-hmm. and I'm rooting for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's so weird when you will watch a whole entire performance and come away with nothing because you don't have that connection. I mean, everybody's smiling, everybody's pretty right. looking, but it's just this autopilot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting that I know when I feel something from watching a performance and that's kind of at least what I'm looking for my own eye but I can imagine that's why all the technique in the world won't necessarily kind of make up for that and I think right. it's important for people to to think about that too even if they're taking a bunch of classes to try to prepare for auditions finding that emotional connection to each class that you take or pushing yourself to something where you're making someone feel what you're feeling in dancing that dance would be awesome advice I think because otherwise you're just executing the moves and it's not really right connecting it's not connecting and I think that now is a perfect time for dancers to find that connection because they're not in class you're not comparing yourself to anybody you're if you're taking class you're on zoom so it's you and your computer and yeah you could see the other people but really you're in the room by yourself so you're doing this you already paid for how are you connecting for yourself And if you can find that connection now, then once you do get back in the room with people, like learning experience is going to be completely different. Wow. That is so interesting. Of course, I've watched so many of the Brooklyn Nets performances over the past couple of years, but that's what makes it a movie. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. it's from each woman that you 
zero in on or focus in on. There's just, you just feel like a story is being told through their whole vibe and the way that they perform. I just think it's what makes you guys really, really good in my opinion. Thank you. I appreciate that. I yeah. really do. Talented, talented women on that team. I ended up saying something because Pamela, is it Pamela? I don't want to just call her Pam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, she's always doing something, but when she flipped in the heels at the end of that glamorous life routine, I was just like, <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> let's just tumble in here. Just... If she's the one, she's going to do it for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so cool. Because, you know, we're in a little bit of a cluster with the Rona, the NDA season. Mm -hmm. I don't even know where things are, but you're planning to assemble a team for the 20. 2021 season can you talk at all about like what that's looking like I know people are starting to feel a little lost like is there any point to continuing to dance or take classes or like is anything happening anymore and I just not to put that pressure on you to give people hope but just like how are you managing all of this uncertainty well the great thing is our organization understands the value of the entertainment teams and it's not just all about game day. There's so many other things. There's appearances, there's sponsorship activations. There's so many things that the dancers are even being used currently for now. So for me though, I don't want to waste anyone's time. So as far as like an, a virtual audition, I'm sure it will be some, like maybe the first cut or something like that may be virtual. But if I can't get into a room to rehearse you, then I don't see a point of me hiring you because it's kind of a you know waste of time and people are holding on to, oh, I have this job, but it might not start until who knows. Right. So I think for us, what we're going to continue to do is more virtual intensives, more interacting with, you know, the dancer fans that we have mm -hmm. and knowing that like, Yes, we don't know what's happening, but something is going to happen eventually. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. And I just think it's been exciting to see, even when I was like, oh my God, our whole world is falling apart. We're not able to dance and they're not going in the bubble and what's going on. But, you know, just the way that, you know, different teams have just continued. It's not even just for social media content sake. It's really like, here's how we're trying to stay connected with you. Dance with us, take classes. Right. You know, all the free freaking classes on Instagram is an amazing opportunity to to just learn so much about each team, about the different dancers, the style, like it's, it's all at your fingertips. I mean, it will allow you if you consume all of that to uh, as much as you can, right. To just show up and be your uber best self. If once we kind of get back to that space, but I was curious because of your process, like if you were thinking that virtual would be something that's workable, but from listening to how it goes. Yeah. Right now, I, don't, I don't think so. Cause I, I think that, you know, we have dancers right now that are all over this country. Um, mm -hmm. And it works for right now. But once we get back into what we do, they understand and they know that like, all right, I have to make a decision. How am I going to handle this? But for right now, I just, I don't want to waste anybody's time like mm -hmm. to, to hire new people. And how do you know someone's personality virtual? Like, you know, everyone gets an attitude here and there and that's fine. But I need to know the things that make you get an attitude and if I'm okay with that. <laughs> You know what I mean? And yeah. the only way you're going to really see is everyone's true selves in front of you. Period. I mean, I talked about it. And of course, this is just me running my mouth about like, well, what if this and how would I like it if this? But to your point, I just didn't see without enough answers and definitive you know, information about what's going on. I was just like, why are we doing this? 
why are we doing right. this now? You know, because I mean, you can you can put together an auditions process like you look at you guys do it in four freaking days. Um, it can happen when you know a lot more information. Right. Is doing it early and not because it's just been such a roller coaster ride and it's, it's been kind of unsettling to see how decisions have you know you pick a team or you're in finals and you decide that you don't you're only taking bets or just it's just right. been yeah and it's just probably better to wait and and still continue to do what you're doing and that's great that people are working like yeah it's not that they're just not being utilized and that's that speaks to the value the organization places on the entertainers it's not For just sure. not just dance well i gonna segue it seems like you know I don't want to say a heavy topic but again you know over the course of the summer one of the things that I was monitoring was how teams responded reacted just anything around everything that's going on in our country right now with uh, racial injustice and the protests and you know a lot of the listeners of the podcast or the followers were either writing in about like my team hasn't said anything they didn't even post a black square like you know or just Lots and lots of emotions that came out, had a town hall and just to let people air what they expected or how it was making them feel just based on the team's reaction. And just, you know, there were a few teams that really stuck out to me and just having something to say or allowing the dancers to have something to say. So I just wanted to open the floor as to how you managed your team through this ongoing crisis that we're living through. Yeah. So again, we have a committee that works with our social media and you know, I try to create an atmosphere where people can be open and honest and in, in how they feel. And we were, and, you know, checking in on everyone as soon as everything happened, especially like with George Floyd, it was like, okay, what do we do? Are we going to say something? And I'm not going to lie. At first I was reluctant and I'm, I'm upset at myself for being reluctant. Like, you know, this is what you believe in. And it's, if wrong is wrong, you should feel empowered to use your platform to talk about it and once having the discussion we had a company discussion and you know it was like you know what let's let's do it and I was able to work with the social media team and you know the the head of our social media team to to come up with a tasteful way to speak our views how we felt and not only just say something but provide resources to Mm -hmm. to people and Mm -hmm. that was important because it's like everyone could post a black square but like what are you doing? Like, how are you helping? How are you using your platform to help? And they all had great ideas with coming up with like link trees to, you know, all the different um, organizations you can donate to, you know, just keeping the knowledge flowing on how we can help, what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we even did a donations class to the Swan Dreams Project. And even that hearing a black ballerina speak about her experience being a black ballerina. Now everyone is, you know, boisterous and to talk about the different struggles that they went through. And this is what people need to hear. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. You need to hear that this is going on so that you are informed and you understand how to move forward and be better. Mm-hmm. So, no, I yeah. love it. I mean, you have a highlight on your social media, tell your social media team a one job. I mean, just, just on all fronts. Like, I think you guys were like the first one that I noticed that just had all this, I don't even know how to do it. So I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> but, um, I think it was right around like the time that you had auditions, but just the different ways that you, the visuals are just amazing and they're doing an amazing job. But I liked seeing that there was a, a BLM highlight, just, you know, keeping those resources and um, the information present. It's not something that's like fleeting and that, oh, we did that and now we're done. Right. Um, right. 
just a very good job and a thoughtful way of, like you said, we all have those feelings feel a lot worse when you just felt like those feelings weren't necessarily trapped, but even if you express them, you felt helpless and I just having, you know, actionable things that people can do and sharing that information is one of the best things that we can do, especially with a big platform like you guys have. So I appreciate you sharing that because it's been, I think they're fumbling around in terms of like, what is the right approach or response or should we be saying anything? I think those were questions that probably every team had to tackle in some form or fashion, but it was just nice to see the the progression, like maybe they had some internal talks and then they figured out how to come together as a team. That's it. And I I really appreciated being able to see that over the course of the summer and knowing that it's an ongoing thing is, is even more beautiful. Do you feel like the team has kind of come together even more to all of the conversations? It's hard to say that. And I have to be honest with you because the camaraderie on our team, you know, has been unmatched and has been great, but I was on maternity leave right before the pandemic started. Okay. So I feel a little disconnected. I feel like because, also because of that. But mm-hmm. um, here and there, you know, we still do brunches and trips and things like that together. But I do wish that, you know, we can get everybody in the yeah. same and, you know, just to build that vibe back up again. Yeah. Um, not to say that it's not great, but like, again, you haven't seen people for a really long time. So you kind of need to just come together come together. Yeah. In person. I mean, that's an interesting point, like um, with the pandemic on top of it and people being in quarantine in different places, you're trying to have these really serious or just difficult conversations and moments of wanting to connect and all over Zoom or just not in person. And that has to make it even more challenging to mm-hmm. Um, really feel one another and and try to work through those emotions together I just we just need it over with like so we (laughs) we just all because I do think there probably would have been a lot more space for connection and understanding from what I heard people talking about the issues that they faced while they were on the team or just being an audition season and you really couldn't address certain things because you weren't technically part of the team but I just feel like if you know, if this was normal course and you're at practice, these things happen, you know, there's probably a time to put that to the side and really just talk and listen to one another and probably being in at least a lot more empathetic space with one another than, well, I'm looking forward to the end of this whole saga that we're dealing with so that things can get back to something so normal. What are you most excited about for next NBA season whenever it's dropping? I mean... I just miss my Brooklyn family. I really do. And I love my family and here so much. And my husband is a great support. And one of the reasons why I'm able to do this job and my daughters and everything like that, but, you know, missing their faces and them interacting with my kids and like they feel like they're like, you know, big brothers and big sisters to them. So it's definitely just miss the interaction. Um, Mm -hmm even like the planning part of it, it's like, we're making all these plans and we don't know what's happening. I wish that, I can't wait till we know, like, you know what, this is what it's going to be. So go. And then like, so my brain can like, you know, release. (laughs) Exactly. And I keep telling people, you know, even though there's not really a lot of certainty and we don't know when, I was like, when it comes down, it's probably going to be like that quick where it's like, Mm-hmm. We now have a date. This is what the, you know, this is the game plan. Not even the game plan. It's just like you get a green light to go and then it's just going to be full steam ahead. And so it's just better to be ready because you might not have that much time to get ready 
frankly, right. you know, when it comes, I'm talking about for the dancers' perspectives of wanting to be part of these teams, and it's just like, you might not know what's coming, but it's better to just stay on top of your game as best you can so that when it's all systems go, you're ready to try to get on that train. Right. I was speaking, I think, to a few other directors, and I was like, honestly, like, if you hire someone right now, how do you know that they're going to be the same person two months from now? Like, anything could happen. Yeah. Anything. And it's a super huge gamble, so. Yep. If I were in a director's shoes, I would have probably been like, no, I'm just going to wait. Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll get what you get closer to it. I mean, where I started with my fitness at the beginning of the Rona, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And there's so many classes. Like, I had big plans, and a lot happened. <laughs> and a lot doesn't happen. And like you said, it's like, uh, this isn't the same person that I watched in the right. auditions. But no, it's going to be interesting. I also think that in dancing culture, we're used to having like a month and a half in advance to tell everyone and advertise and blah, blah, blah. But real audition world you usually get two days notice and if you're available then you are and if you're not then oh well then you just you just missed it's the not the opportunity for you right that's what I'm afraid of it's gonna be something that quick of an announcement and you know people have to just stay peeled to get those notifications updates so that they aren't missing the boat are you ready to play drop it like it's hot or do you have a time yes story your time dancing or even coaching that you want to share um, I mean, I would love to play Drop It Like It's Hot. Okay, goody, goody. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know I give people the other one. I just think it's a fun way to, to ask some questions. So first thing that comes to mind, and some of them are deeper than others, but take your time. Okay. <laughs> first one, what is the greatest piece of advice you've taken in your dance career? Um, oh, that, that is a loaded question. Um. <laughs> Definitely being humble, mm. making connections, and never feeling like you're at your best because you're not. Yeah. I would feel like that's the best, best I could say for advice. Mm -hmm. And it's humbling just even saying that. I like that. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite dance experience as a performer since you've been touring and all of these things? What was your favorite moment as a dancer? Oh man, my favorite moment as a dancer. I think that would be um, the first time that I danced with Pharrell at All Star. So I was selected, um, I don't know if you remember when they did the mm -hmm. one dancer. So I was selected as a Nixie dancer to go. Why did they stop that? I don't I know. I mean, it's not as easy as it makes. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty tough because if you think about it, like yeah. everyone's from different styles, like everyone has different costumes, like everyone has different requirements of what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. So bringing oh. everyone together, having to learn the choreography and, and all-star already is just, it's chaotic. hard. It's, a, yeah. it's chaotic, like, you know, it's organized chaos and it's just, it's a lot. So I think that skipping up every other year or how they have been doing it. And I also think it depends on the talent that's in the state that All-Star's happening because like you wouldn't do an All-Star dance team when you're coming to New York or Chicago has a million entertainment teams. So like, so I think that has nothing to do with it. But definitely I say my favorite moment was being on stage with Pharrell and then everyone came out, Snoop came out. Like it was just, it was cool. Okay, that is dope. Okay, sorry, I'm like reveling. Like <laughs> 
because that's my favorite part of all star week is just the performances and then seeing the dancers and being able to come out and perform with um with musical artists so okay next one the biggest mistakes you see aspiring dancers make in your auditions process other than lying in the interview process (laughs) (laughs) oh the biggest mistakes would be um dropping out of choreography and then not doing anything I have booked so many dancers off their freestyles. I have booked so many things off my freestyle, not knowing choreography. And mm-hmm. I think that like dancers get so caught up on like, oh, I have to know the choreography. I have to be clean. I have to look like them. I have to look, especially that first day, there's so many nerves. We know that that's an eight hour day. You're never going to have an eight hour rehearsal. Well, that's not true. But like yeah. realistically, most right. likely you're not going to have an eight hour rehearsal where you're dancing for eight hours straight. So like, there's more leniency than what you think. And if you just go in there and relax, dance, if you make a mistake, dance. Because I cut people off. I don't care how good they were on all the other times they did it. If you make a mistake and you show it, that just shows me you just don't have the right attitude that I need for this team. Yeah. Gosh, and even thinking about like, people say keep moving like if you make a mistake or don't stop dancing but I love like what you're saying like freestyle turn that into a moment that's like you forgot what the choreography is and you don't even care that is a great piece of advice I haven't heard that in these couple years I've been doing this but I I like that because I think people freeze especially when they think freestyle but if this is just flowing through you and you're like have that relaxated mind you might do something that surprises yourself and then you can get it on and I like that Okay, let's see. Next, 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 next. This is not moving super fast. But... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, what are you binge watching during quarantine? Oh my God, what am I not binge watching? Okay, so I love Drag Race. It's my favorite show in the whole okay. world. So definitely binge watching that. What else? Um, world of Dance, I thought the season was great, although like they cut it short. Mm-hmm. Um, also AGT uh, we had some of the team hype on AGT this year okay yeah the waffle crew and so I've been like watching that oh, anything that's good um, insecure uh, the shy uh, I am like if something is good I'm watching all episodes like right oh. now <laughs> which actress play you in your biopic oh definitely Carrie Washington I see it. Sorry. I'm like, okay. I have the baby baby weight face right now, but when I don't have the baby weight face, me and her are like twins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you're a New Yorker. I'm not trying to say anything, but scale of one (laughs) to 10. (laughs) How good of a driver are you? I'm an excellent driver. I live in Long Island, so I have a car. Yeah. Yeah. I am, I'm like that city, like, if I can parallel park in two moves, like. Okay. okay. Yeah. So you're giving yourself a 10? I'm giving myself 10. And okay. I'll give myself a 20. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite childhood TV show? Oh, childhood TV show. Wait, what is the show on HBO with, and I probably shouldn't have been watching this as a child, but. This, these are who my parents were um with the comedians deaf comedy jam <laughs> um, yeah not quite a childhood tv show but it was, I know, but it was definitely yeah. hilarious though <laughs> like, i just remember that. staying out with my parents watching it and i loved it that's not really the real answer i'm gonna think about that as you're asking the other ones and come back 
They need to make that one bingeable. <laughs> I would do that. Oh one. my God, yes. I would watch that. Okay, let's see. What is your favorite carb? Bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? Mm, I think pasta. What's the worst job you've ever had? <sighs> the worst job I ever had was working for muscle milk. I know, and it sounds weird, it sounds wrong, but you know how, like, as your freelance dancer, you're doing things to, you know, keep your bills paid as you're trying to get your career going, and I basically, like, drove around a muscle milk Hummer in the city and delivered muscle milk to people at all hours of the day, like, 3 a.m., like, ridiculous, like, it was, I didn't do it for very long, but I will never forget that. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, let's see. The last one, uh, maybe it's a little deep, but describe an experience where you took a huge leap of faith. With work or just with life? Life, work, whatever. Oh, a huge leap of faith. Man, um, I think it would be taking this role, to be honest with you, as director, because, you know, I... At that point, I had just gotten married and I knew that I wanted to, you know, start children, but I, my career was also really moving fast. And this opportunity came and I, I knew that if I didn't take it, it probably wouldn't come again. And I remember I was so happy when I got the job, like so, so happy. But I also, there was like a little bit of my heart that was like, but you know that you're not going to be able to do all the things that you want to do. But then there was like the excitement about, well, now like you can really start your family going. And like, so it was like such a push and pull, but I just like closed my eyes and click send. And I knew that from that point on, you know, sending my resume in, I was going to be a new journey that I knew was going to be exciting, but I was so used to being like, Chrissia the dancer Mm -hmm. so to think that I'm gonna put that down even though like I may still dance and stuff like that to put it down the way I did was like a huge Huge. definitely leap of faith I didn't even think about that in terms of the timing just you know going from dancing and performing and like you said these opportunities don't come very very often but you're you know people go through that withdrawal when they stop dancing in general it's just like wow seeing out there Mm -hmm. There's so many things that I can imagine were swirling around. And um, and just like the expectation of the job and just being like, oh my God, can I really do this? Like, yeah, I've never had an office job before. Like I'm nervous to send out an email and spell something wrong. Like, oh, the person who's doing this was a, you know, a Ivy League grad before me. Like I have to like live up to that. And it was just, you know, mind-boggling and even going from auditioning with dancers that now I'm technically their boss like was a very strange transition um definitely strange but you know I'm happy that there was respect level there and even for me respecting them as Brooklyn Nets before I'm getting in the building um definitely helped but that was a huge huge leap of faith Wow, but it was meant. And it's like you said, it's a matter of like hitting that button to to even try, right? I always try to remind people too, it's like you you won't know unless you try and put yourself out there, whether that's auditioning, whether that's applying for a role. I totally forgot that I didn't ask you, but I guess we can end with that. If you have any like advice for somebody who does have that dream of maybe coaching um, professionally or 
any words of advice in terms of how to position themselves or prepare for, for that opportunity when it, once it opens? Um, I would think definitely knowing all the different teams and aspects that are happening in the dance world, in the cheer world. And, you know, so you're always sharp when it comes to what you want your team to look like, knowing what you want your team to look like. That's also big. And having the organizational skills to really manage something like that. So whether it's creating your own team, like at your studio or creating like, you got to have some type of experience to know how to deal with personalities. It's not even the choreography and the creativeness. It's dealing with personalities. That's probably, yeah, the hardest part of it. And knowing when to put your foot down and knowing when to let something slide, that's all definitely huge factors. And also remembering what your coaches were to you, what you liked about them and what you didn't like about them and how you're going to use that to like mold yourself as this position. Got it. That's great advice. That's absolutely great advice. And again, this is just me in my observation mode, but it seems like people have coach synonymous with choreographer and there's just other aspects to coaching and, you know, it's really, really around management that I think is different from, you know, having a background as a dancer and then choreographer, but coaching is like an extra element. It's so a it's whole, like, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you talk about that. Christina, I just really am so happy that I got a chance to meet you and talk to you. Of course. Such a great interview and I'm just so excited. Do you have any other last thoughts that you want to get out? No, I mean, yeah, I think we touched on everything. I, I, again, am thankful for the organization that I'm working for as far as their support. And again, having family to support, having my husband having to support, but like also knowing that the company understands that I'm a mother and I have two kids and how, you know, they might be at the game and having my daughter be able to sit at a court rehearsal and watch and everyone's okay with it. They're not like, you know, weirded out. I think that's super important. So yeah. And I also encourage everyone to speak their minds in their roles as the higher ups, or they may not understand and they may need someone to explain why you're an expert in your field of why something should be the way it is versus what they think it should be. Mm. And yes, they, you know, they are the masters of the brand and and all of that. And I I understand that and I respect that. But at the same time, you are the master of your craft. And I feel like sometimes people don't have the courage to speak up and say, actually, I think it should be this way because of this. You just kind of get handed something and then you have to deal with it. And Mm. then it kind of messes up how good the product could possibly have been. So I just encourage people to, you know, again, every organization is different, but create those connections with your managers or people who manage you to make them understand that you know what you're doing. Right. I love that because it's not even that change is great. And, you know, it's, it's inevitable. And I think you know, there've been a lot of changes in this space, frankly, from the time that the podcast started. But I think what you're speaking to in terms of that courage to advocate and to provide basis and 
justification for your thoughts, your ideas. You know, obviously I don't know what's going on in every organization, but you just can kind of feel or sense that decisions are being handed down versus really like listening to whether it's the dancers or maybe it's not listening to the coaches or directors, but um, we have to keep speaking up about the things that matter to us because otherwise I can just see certain things eroding away and we really kind of fight for the value that we bring. We just really have to be able to feel emboldened to speak up about our value and our worth within these organizations. You know, we're not just dancers and not just entertainers. And I just think to your point, just having that courage to push for your vision and everything that uplifts us and shows how talented we are and what we can bring and our value is really, really, it's what'll keep us going. Cause I just, I don't know. It's been interesting to watch and there's a lot of changes. And I feel like if there are people in these positions of power or influence that aren't feeling like they can share that voice, it's not a good look for where things could go. Right. Yeah. Sure. You are the bomb. I thank you so much. Like this Thank is- you. This is great. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.